everybody, and welcome back to More of a Comment Than a Question. My name is Paul Connor. I am joined by the wonderful Rachel Hartman. Rachel, how are you? I'm doing great, uh, especially now that you're referring to me as wonderful. Um, For the second time. I got, I got to hear that twice because <laughs> you forgot to record. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I already introduced the podcast once, and then I realized that I had not been recording, so... Take two. Hopefully, yeah, this time um, yeah. I haven't overlooked anything uh, as important as pressing record. But yeah, anyway, so you're fine. I'm fine. My football team lost. Yada yada yada. We did a bit of banter. <laughs> we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to cut it out. <laughs> we have a guest, uh, Stuart Ritchie, who is senior lecturer at uh, King's College London, and I think a really wonderful science communicator. I I, I really. Uh, I have to say, I haven't read your research about intelligence. This is not my area, but I do read a lot of the things you write. Um, there was one really good one recently. I think there was some paper about uh, cash payments having uh, benefits, cognitive benefits for people. Mm. And I remember the hype and I remember looking at the paper and seeing some pretty dodgy high P values and just thinking, hmm, well, I'm not going to be the one that uh, <laughs> pours water on this research, but I hope somebody looks into it in detail because I didn't have time to. And I thought you did a really good job, um, yeah, digging into that research and just saying like, okay, like let's uh, let's all calm down. This this evidence maybe isn't uh, as strong as people are claiming it to be. But yeah, so yeah, um, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's a very kind introduction. So the yeah, it's better even that- the second time around. <laughs> speed things up yeah cut the small talk but anyway <laughs> so i wanted to quickly talk so our queen is dead so technically as an australian citizen uh the queen still rules over my homeland yeah. and you're from scotland i believe yeah well yeah and uh, uh, i'm currently in london right now but yeah uh the whole uk yeah she is she was the head of state until yesterday yeah yeah so um I very kind of surprising news, like surprisingly surprising because she was 90, 96 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been coming for quite a while. I did not think she would outlive Olivia Newton John, for example. But <laughs> yeah, so, but I, I, yeah, like, so you, you mentioned that you don't maybe have strong feelings about it, but I just kind of wanted to see how the reaction has been around you over there in, in London and, and what you've thought about, about yeah, the reaction. I- I'm quite surprised by the reaction of some of my friends who are like reporting tears and, you know, like going for a walk to Buckingham Palace and feeling really emotional and so on. Cause I don't have any real like emotional connection to the Royal family. I, if anything, I view them as kind of figures of fun in it, in, in, in a sense, they're sort of like a, a class of celebrity. They don't actually have any real constitutional power. I mean, technically they do, but not actually. I mean, the, the uh, my understanding is that the queen, mm chose to use a lot less of her constitutional power even than she than she she had and so potentially king charles could 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 uh, uh, interfere a little bit more in in politics but um I, you know I, I view them as kind of like a, a weird class of celebrity as i say and uh, especially with all the recent stuff with you know prince harry and meghan markle and you know all all this kind of stuff which really emphasizes the fact that they're kind of a, a celebrity uh, a class of people but many of my friends particularly english friends i think maybe it's being scottish Makes me slightly more uh, uh, detached from 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 them, but a lot of my English friends are very very upset about it, and I have, you know, to tread slightly carefully when talking to them because they are actually offended when I when I say things like the royal family are kind of figures of fun, um, mm. 
uh, you know, when I think of Prince Charles, I think of, sorry, King Charles now, but when I think of Prince Charles as he was, I think of like selling dodgy homeopathy products up until 2010, which he did as part of his uh, Dutchy Originals label, um, talking to plants, uh, you know, th- like well, it's eccentric things like that, weird things like that. But, but you know, now we have to think of him as the the, the leader of the nation uh, and so on. I, I, I you know, I, I find it, I find it sad that you know that we kind of are at the end of an era. Uh, the the queen was the queen right the way through. Like, like my mother. She was the queen right the way through her life as well because she's been on the throne for seven years. It, it, it feels like the end of an era, which is a big a big deal. But like, I don't have a a, a strong personal connection. I thought it was uh, interesting to see the opposite reaction from a lot of people on Twitter of like being really happy that she's dead and <laughs> well. um, and basically saying like. I don't know, something about colonization and uh, how, like, she's responsible for the death and suffering of millions of people, something, yada, yada. Well, look, they're well within the rights to say that. I mean, I, I, I think that's a bit dumb because, like, she ruled over the decolonialization of the British Empire and the end of the British Empire. That was, like, that's, this, it, when you look back in history, that's what her reign covers was the British Empire declining and and, and disappearing uh, and then turning into the Commonwealth and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but, you know, you can say that if you want. There was a professor at Carnegie Mellon who said that she wishes she, the Queen died in excruciating pain. I think that's a bit of a nasty thing to say, but, you know, she's well within her rights to say it. And I'm glad that her university didn't, you know, uh, uh, and this is kind of relevant, I suppose, to what we're going to be talking about uh, generally in the podcast. But her university put out a statement, and they and they didn't say, you know, we are investigating or anything like that. They just said she doesn't speak for us, um, and free expression is important. I would have worded it slightly differently from the way they they did, but um, I'm quite pleased that they didn't. Uh, you know, the, the the kind of mob that were that have been attacking that professor, um, whose name I know fails to recall uh, uh they didn't they didn't capitulate to them and say you know we're going to investigate and her job is at risk or anything like that so i'm pleased that that didn't turn into another you know cancellation yeah yeah i also thought the reaction was kind of interesting i mean the main thing i saw on twitter was jokes it just felt like a lot of people making <laughs> yes. jokes and you know I, like it's not it wasn't for me like it wasn't it wasn't my taste but you know in our last episode we made the case that you should be able to joke on Twitter. And if somebody doesn't like the joke somebody else is making, that's that's fine. They can just choose to mute people or look away or just sort of not open Twitter. But I did actually just sort of close Twitter because every single tweet was about the Queen. Yeah. Um, and it was mostly jokes, but there was also like some genuine, yeah, these tweets are um the one the one that you mentioned that Twitter actually took down weirdly. That's true. Uh, yeah, Twitter deleted that one, which I think is bad as well. Many millions of tweets are similarly like bad every every yeah. single day. Like a yeah. very strange decision. Um which just, you know, it seemed like to me, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, there are certain people in the world who I don't think I would celebrate anybody's death, but there's certain people who, if they died, I might say, oh, that might be good. That like, that might be a positive thing. Like, um, whereas like, I thought like celebrating the queen's death is weird because there's no real strategic advantage or geopolitical implications. She's now just sort of replaced by somebody else. Right. So I can imagine like Rupert Murdoch dying 
and somebody might think, oh, well, I actually think Lachlan Murdoch's going to take over. He's going to be slightly better. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there'll be slightly less disinformation shared on Fox News or something like that. This could be positive. Or, you know, like Supreme Court justices, you, you might think, oh, you know, their dying could have positive implications yeah. for p- policy or something like that. But celebrating the Queen's death was weird because it really just was more coming from a place of intergroup animosity or, or yeah. like bias, which is never attractive. And I, and I was kind of like trying to think hard because I do think I almost always find intergroup animosity, intergroup prejudice, ugly, like, and I was trying to think like, what's the most, you know, what's the intergroup prejudice that most sort of aligns with how I see the world? Cause that's the real test of like, do you actually always find it ugly or is it just like when it's yeah. like the teams aren't aligned, but no, I actually do think, you know, even sometimes like a guy like Jesse single, who I, I saw you had a selfie with the other day, I see him had sort a very, of tw- very pleasant lunch with him, yeah. tweet out something that seems slightly motivated by you know, his, his perceptions of certain groups of journalists, right? So, like, he'll find something, some piece of hypocrisy that's some journalist, and he'll, like, amplify it. And it seems to be coming from a place of, like, ah, I really don't like these people. And e- even then, like, I, I love Jesse. I agree with almost everything he, he, he writes. But, yeah, even then, you know, it does seem, yeah, in, I just think intergroup, intergroup prejudice is never attractive. Yeah, I know, agree. Although what, I'm finding the intergroup or the in-group of Ukraine and the out-group of Russia, an increasingly mm-hmm. uh, attractive thing to be involved with. And I'm finding it less and less offensive when people say mm-hmm. bad things about Russia. Uh, um, and uh, one person I would very much enjoy hearing about the death of is Vladimir Putin. But um, mm-hmm. uh, right. and I think there are reasons, there are reasons for that. Unlike the queen, as I say, mm-hmm. you know, she actually, if anything, kept out of public affairs in a way that royals right. uh, uh, hadn't particularly done before and, and needn't do in future, given the actual legal situation. So, so yeah, you're right. There doesn't seem to be strategically a, a good reason to do that. So you're, it's, I think it is, it's, it's motivated by pure in-group, out-group uh, stuff. And also I think maybe just a kind of a meme view of history, like the queen stands for the British empire and the British empire is bad. And so, you know, and, and, and like, there may be lots of truth in some of those statements. Like she certainly was associated with the British Empire for a long time, and the British Empire certainly did do lots of bad things, and and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But like zooming out across history, I don't think Queen Elizabeth II is going to be the one that people think of when they think of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. That would be Victoria, probably. And and so I, I just don't think like his, historically that's a particularly like sensible thing to do. So I think you're right. It's motivated by by. People, re- I, th- I, th- I think a huge amount of online discourse, not just online, but but you know, discourse in general, is people repeating memes they've heard from other people that are the in-group memes. I think we saw loads of this in the pandemic when people like repeated memes, whether they were the pro, you know, mask group or the anti-mask group or the anti-lockdown, pro-lockdown or pro-ivermectin or anti-ivermectin, like the excesses on I- on any sides of those, and there were excesses. There have been excesses on on all sides of those debates came from people over, like, certainly they didn't come from people, like, sceptically assessing the message. They came from people over uh, pushing, you know, memes that they that they had and, and, and kind of feeling that it's okay to say anything about the outgroup because, you know, the meme says that they're bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so that, that was just a, a, a quick diversion. Um Based on based on the news from yesterday, uh, the main thing um, that we did want to have you on the podcast to discuss is the recent uh, editorial um, 
put out by the editors of the journal Nature Human Behavior. Um, we, you know, we, we, we discuss these kinds of issues on the podcast, like academic freedom, um, the sort of conflict between ideology and science and stuff like that. And this was, um, I thought a pretty, a pretty interesting, um, sort of signpost in the trajectory of how, how this stuff is going. So basically, so Nature Human Behavior put out this editorial and, um, yeah, I, I might let I might let you sort of summarize what you took away from it. I mean, quickly, just quickly though, to me it was it was basically saying um, they are planning or it's sort of announcing that they're adding another layer of um, ethical guidelines on the sort of research that they they publish. So in addition to all the existing ethical guidelines that researchers uh, who work with human populations have to go to to publish their work. They're, they're now saying we need uh, additional um, ethical guidelines to prevent harm, right? So basically they're saying you could do research that doesn't harm its participants um, and you could produce a scientific paper and it might even be well done and it might even be rigorous, uh, but that paper could still do harm to people. Uh, it could uh, stigmatize groups. It, they use the phrase, it could undermine or help provide justification for, uh, un- that would undermine groups' rights and dignity. Uh, and so that's, that's the idea. Basic idea is that they want to have, um, any paper that is published in nature, human behavior has to go through a check. Will this, could the publication of this paper harm people or lead to extra harm after it's published people who weren't involved in the actual research um and so you you tweeted about it uh so apparently you don't think all humans have a right to dignity <laughs> you well, don't yes, clearly to, that's what it is. You, you don't so first question what is wrong with you you monster <laughs> well it's funny i uh, talking about you know in groups and out groups i actually managed to uh annoy both sides of the debate with that tweet because First of all, I criticised the paper, which was the main meat of what I was saying, which we can get into. But but the other thing I said in that tweet was, I think it was well-meaning, uh, uh, the, the, the the paper, um, the, the editorial, I should say, which I've got open in front of me now. So I, I, it's called Science Must Respect the Dignity and Rights of All Humans. And uh, and who could argue with that? That's a nice, a nice thing. Dignity and rights are good. Uh, not being racist, as they say, not being sexist, not being misogynist. You know, these are all, these are all good things that, you know, surely no one would question that sort of thing. And that's why I think it's well-meaning because I think that people, uh, say, say these kind of things from, uh, a, a, a naive, but well-meaning perspective, which is that it's bad to be racist. And if we have rules like this, it would make, there are less racism in the world and that would be a good thing. And so we should, we should do that. And I think a lot of people who get involved in what I see as a, a political movement, uh, the, the kind of, uh, whatever you want to call it, anti-racism. Some people say wokeness. I know that's a bit cringe to say that, that word. Um, I think that's a, I think that is a, a, a political set of positions and, um, but people don't see it as a political set of positions. They see it as something like research ethics, something like, um, health and safety almost they see it as like you shouldn't balance a pot of paint on a plank of wood above where people are walking because it might fall fall on them we all agree that that's a bad thing to do um and they i think people who write these kind of things think that it's as obvious as that that we shouldn't we shouldn't do the sorts of things that they talk about in the paper which we can get into so i upset people by saying i think it's well-meaning loads of people if you look at the replies 
to my tweet, which, you know, it's one of my more popular tweets recently. And I, I modestly, I'm not going to say the word viral because it only got a thousand likes, but like modestly popular tweet. If you look at the replies, loads of them are people saying, it's not well-meaning. You mm. are, you know, you are, why on earth would you say it's well-meaning? How dare you say it's well-meaning? Like, people are getting really upset um, mm. at my naivety on, on that on that issue. So I upset them. But I also upset people who say, well, the paper's just saying that you shouldn't be racist. Mm. Are, are you a bit racist if you think that this paper is bad, this editorial is bad? Um, uh, are you like Charles Murray, someone said? Uh, Stuart Ritchie is joining Charles Murray in criticising this paper. Now, if anything, I was the first person to criticise this paper on, on Twitter, to my knowledge. So if anything, Charles Murray is joining me. <laughs> so let's just get that. As long as you're in good company with Charles Murray. <laughs> but also, I mean, lots of people from many different political perspectives have 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 seen that this paper is 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 uh, problematic. If you want to use that word in 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 in, in various ways. Uh, uh, Liam Bright, who's a, I think you know, I would say Mark, self-described Marxist, I think would say, agrees with me that this paper is very bad. And my main criticism of it was that this is a very vague set of guidelines. Um, even from the title onwards, uh, the word dignity, for instance, is an extremely vague term that means many, many different things to many, many different people. Um, you know, Stephen Pinker wrote uh, an essay years and years and years ago called, uh, I can't remember, it was something like the, the worthlessness of dignity, or, or I can't remember what it was called, something along those lines. Um, and he pointed out that dignity has been used by people to halt research in all sorts of different contexts research on embryos for instance you know stem cell research was a big thing we've mm. now got other ways of creating stem cells so we don't need to use the embryonic ones so much and so that issue kind of moved to the side i guess but um but uh you know that that was you know a big a big thing in the kind of george bush george w bush years you know was that was a big uh, uh pushback against against science he talks about this uh, bioethicist who wrote a famous passage on how licking an ice cream in public is undignified and must not be done and is unethical to to to, to do it because it you know people see your tongue and you're licking the ice cream and that's really bad and really offensive like and I think that illustrates really nicely how the word dignity is 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 not a useful term and 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 is and is uh, uh can be co-opted by anyone for any reason really because it's not something that's associated with any like strong you know ethical position it's associated with often your own feelings of offense uh, uh which i think is a very poor way to make policy so i have a question if you if the if there was a good way to like define dignity and if the paper if this editorial paper was like more concrete about what you are or aren't allowed to do or say um do you think that the general um approach this like general uh thing of saying we don't we're going to reject papers that hurt groups of people uh, hurt their dignity if it is if it were well defined um like be, even if it's even if what they're saying is true like do you think that that is a good direction for science to be moving in no uh i think the you know they, they talk about in the book not it's not that you know even if it was well defined so i mean you know just to sort of expand on what you said there are no examples of research given in the paper that you know you know there's a lot of very vague statements um about 
you know, um, uh, I'm trying to try to find the, the the exact phrasing that they that they give, but you know, um, content that is premised upon the assumption of inherent biological, social, or cultural superiority or inferiority of one human group over another, uh, based on uh, race, ethnicity, national or social origin, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion, political or other beliefs, age, disease, disability, or other socially constructed or socially relevant groupings. Uh, or content that undermines or could reasonably be perceived to undermine the rights and dignities of an individual or human group on the basis of socially constructed or socially relevant human groupings. Like, that could mean so many different things. Um, and there's no examples given, like a little vignette of a, here's a study that would that would actually do this. And even if there were, to answer your question, they say that it might be something that happens in the future as well. That you know, it's not just that it's not just that you could rigorously define the harm that's happening right now. You know, if 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 this paper were to be published. So, for instance, if someone published a paper on how to make smallpox 2.0, right? That was like you know a newer and even more virulent version of smallpox. And something has happened similarly with like bird flu in the past. People published they didn't they didn't publish all the information about i think it was bird flu um about some particular you know uh, genome sequencing study that they did because it might be used for for bad reasons and you can see why that would be used because there are you know there are terrorist organizations in the world that could you know specifically use that information to create a virus which which would then be dangerous um I don't think that that level of concreteness can be applied to the sorts of things they're that they're that they're talking about there um and I also think that the sheer size of the group, the num- of the number of groupings that they give, is is it, you know is asking for research to be um, uh, mobbed, censored, whatever, um, uh, uh, criticized on a on a on a basis that's not to do with the validity of the research. And I you know I don't want invalid research to be published. I think you know my whole book was about how low quality research slips into journals. And uh, and ends up causing causing problems and just undermining our knowledge of the world uh, because of things like poor, poor peer review, scientists not knowing how to do statistics properly, scientists not publishing the data that doesn't conform with their prejudices in various ways. So so that's a big problem. But this adds a whole new set of categories. Like if you offend someone on the basis of their age or their or 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 or, or their political or other beliefs, then it then you can retract it on that basis. It seems like a like a, a you know a, a massive you know set of categories that we could use to basically, and this is what I said in my tweet: have any research pulled off the internet for any reason, uh, if it offends any group of any size anywhere, at any at any time. So maybe it's the case that they'll write this down, and it's just a kind of a a, a nice thing that they can point to and say we're all very ethical, mm. um, and they'll never actually use it. Mm. Fair enough. But maybe they will start using it for, you know, uh, whenever anyone pressures them. Maybe people will start letter writing campaigns to journals and say, um, mm. d- d- "Look at these guidelines. Aren't you supposed mm. to be using these guidelines?" Now, I'm not. I think the guidelines perhaps just apply to nature, uh, human behavior. I don't even think they re- apply to other nature journals. Mm. But um, this is the time to criticize them when they're when they're only applied to one, you know, fairly minor journal uh, before other journals start taking uh, uh, the same kind of uh, approach. And it is a pretty prestigious journal, and like probably, yeah. Like I don't mean minor. Like, I mean minor in the, like compared to Nature, for instance. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, I feel, I feel like there probably is a risk of uh, other journals sort of following suit now and just copying the same guidelines. 
Yeah, mm. which I think it was why it was useful to get some criticism uh, out there of, of of this, which is why I tweeted that in the first place. Like, I I, I don't I don't just court controversy really. I try to avoid this kind of thing, but um, uh, it's you know these days on on, yeah. on social media. But I, I thought it'd be useful to because I, I I looked to see who else was sharing it at the time, and it had only been shared by about six people, mm. and uh, they were all positive. Um, and I mm. thought you're missing this. You're missing something really really obvious about this paper, which is that the guidelines are so vague. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, every single category, and I think there's another fundamental problem, which is, you know, the sort of research we talked about, uh, you know, unethical research, um, is unethical. The sort of research that you submit to your IRB in the US or your ethics panel in the UK, whatever, um, the the judgment there is being made on the methodology of the study, right, is being is, is saying that, you know, the, the methodology here could harm the participants of the study. Uh, you show people pictures of, you know, dead bodies in your psychology study to make them upset and it gives them nightmares and it makes them upset and they come out of the lab feeling much worse than they were when they went in. So that would be something that you might consider to be an unethical experiment, let alone you know, human experimentation with drugs or surgery or all the other stuff that, that might happen. And, you know, in medical trials, this is clearly an issue. Um, in this case, you're not making the decision on the basis of the method. You're making the decision in some cases, at least on the basis of the results of the study. So one study could be considered unethical if it was identical to another study, but its results went a different way. So, you know, you find that there aren't any differences between groups, uh, between old and young people on this particular measure, for instance, given that age is one of the categories I mentioned. In one paper, everyone nods it through and says that's absolutely fine. Whereas you find that old people are worse at some task, for instance, and then someone was offended. And I say that advisedly because I did a talk on cognitive aging. A lot of my intelligence research is on how mm. intelligence tests basically may, most of them or many of them get worse as you get older. Mm. I did a talk once and someone came up to me at the end and said, do you not think this is ageist to say that older people are, are are less intelligent. Isn't that what you're saying? And I, you know, first of all, it's a bit more complicated than that because mm. not all intelligence tests go down and all sorts of stuff. But, but secondly, if they were, that would be a fact about reality and it would not be something that you should be offended by because it's something that like, and, and so, and, and you can totally see how, um, uh, you know, a, 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 an advocacy group and they say that they're, um, that they're going to consult advocacy groups and ethicists in decisions about papers um, for old people might say, well, old people are stigmatized in society. Uh, you watch yeah. movies and, you know, a little old man or a little old lady driving a car, people laugh at them and use them as a, a punchline in, in, in comedy films. Um, and you're trying to say that they have a, a slower reaction time in your, in your study. Doesn't that contribute to stigmatization? And, and, and like, maybe, it, maybe it does. Uh, uh, because, um, and you think, well, I, I don't want to contribute to stigmatization. So this real result, which is based on a rigorous study, I, I better not publish it. Or indeed, I better retract a study that has already been published. They say that in the, in the paper too, that, that they might go back through papers mm. that they've already mm. published and consider how offensive they they mm. might be. Um, and so it just goes back to this point that I made in the tweet, which is anyone can be offended for any reason, even reasons that most of us might think are quite silly or certainly might not expect. Mm. Um, and there may be some cases where that offence is like justified because it really is the case that uh, uh, something could, could cause harm. There are some cases where it isn't. But I think with this editorial, you're opening the door to people coming along and saying, I'm offended by this. We, you know, whatever group are offended by this, that paper needs to go. And they can point to that editorial and say, 
this this needs to go. Another example recently was that paper in PNAS about trustworthiness of faces. Uh, mm-hmm. um, th- there was a the two psychologists for beers podcast uh, discussed that recently. Like, th- I don't think that paper has been retracted, but certainly the, the authors of that paper were punished on social media for for publishing mm-hmm. it. A perfectly like anodyne paper because it apparently was about physiognomy or like you know once you sat down and actually understood what they were trying to do in the paper it was it was not in fact uh, anything unethical but uh it certainly was made to seem that way by this kind of internet internet mob that appeared and the internet mob in that case was made by lots of made up by lots of academics who really should have known better and that was a very kind of uh a, a perhaps, perhaps I could use the term undignified spectacle to see that happening um, in 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 academia. But um, but yeah, so I think this gives license to groups like that to get papers, you know, retracted or corrected or whatever, or or not published in the first place for reasons that do not have to do with the actual rigor of the paper uh, mm-hmm. itself. And that's not to say that I think we shouldn't consider the impact of research. Obviously, we should. But I feel like that's the sort of thing that's done, that's better done in uh, on a case by case basis, rather than writing vague rules that can be interpreted uh, uh, um, uh, all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a very long answer to your question. Yeah, so the uh, it it is true that two psychologists for beers uh, put out a podcast discussing that PNAS paper. There's also a good episode of more of a comment than a question, uh, which I'm sure you listened to. It, but, uh, I have uh, not. We had, uh, Hands actually Hands on. Up. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> My yeah, no. So I think you—that to me is the key point about this: that we are <laughs> deciding whether to retract or whether to publish papers based on the results. And it and it just seems to me to be uh, so undermining to the credibility of social science to to have any standing uh, to speak on controversial issues if we are explicitly saying to the public and to researchers, our literature has been put through an ideological filter and we've removed the results that we thought might be harmful. But trust us, trust trust the results that we are giving you. Uh, don't worry about the ones that we didn't let you see uh, mm. because we decided they were harmful. So, like, so many examples come to mind. The one that I, I was thinking about this morning is, in the US, you know, immigration is a huge debate. Undocumented people, illegal immigration, yeah. it's a huge debate. And one of the favorite statistics of progressives to cite when these things are debated and when immigration policy is debated is the fact that undocumented immigrants commit crime at lower rates than US citizens, right? So this is like widely championed by progressive people, the same kind of people that I assume would would be in favor of these guidelines, right? And I was thinking about that and I'm thinking, okay, right. So you like that statistic uh, because you liked how the results turned out in that case. But that statistic implies that somebody sometimes sat down and did a statistical test and compared rates of crime in undocumented immigrants and U.S. citizens. And because, you know, they were doing that test, it's possible that they might have found the other thing, right? So I think, like, if you want that statistic to carry any weight, the uh, edifice of social science, we have to allow that the results could have turned out the other way. And if they had done, we would have published them, right? So now, like, 
if the if, because obviously if i you know if somebody finds that undocumented immigrants commit crime at higher rates than u.s citizens this could be obviously harmful stigmatizing to that group it would easily fall afoul of these nature human behavior guidelines like it's the exact yeah. kind of thing that these like transparently the, these guidelines exist to stop but what good is like what good is social science to speak on this issue? It renders like it renders that fact so impotent to say, oh, but look, social science says that these people don't commit crime at a higher rate. When everybody now knows that, well, you wouldn't have even <laughs> you would have totally censored the research that showed the other way. So yeah, I just think if we want to be able to speak with any kind of authority, have any kind of social authority, have any kind of trust of the community. We can't be doing this uh, selective presentation of results based on perceived harm. And like you said, obviously there's cases where some research could do harm, like you like find a new smallpox, you, but this is nature, human behavior. Mm. This, this stuff is like, it's always much more, um, it's always much more speculative, the, the proposed harm. And even if it is plausible in some cases, I just think our credibility as a science so relies on us being open to like letting the data fall where it may. Um, I totally, I totally agree. And 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 you know, a, a, another slightly more insidious consequence of this could be that people just don't even certainly don't public don't don't send that research off for publication if it, if it doesn't find a result that they they like. And we already know that's a huge problem in science. Like publication hmm. bias is a massive issue. Um, uh, or don't even do the research in the first place. Uh, there are certain questions that just might not ever get get looked at, except by people who are willing to take mm. the the social, you know, uh, 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 disapproval or whatever. And those people tend to be a bit mad and probably aren't very good researchers. Like mm. in my field mm. of, uh, uh, you know, um, individual differences research, whether that's intelligence mainly or personality to some extent, like the people that do the research that, that like always produces the most offensive results and gets people all upset. Um, tend to be like the really reckless researchers uh, who who don't care about their reputation, or and, and in many cases don't really care about rigor and and uh, and all the stuff that we that we want to do. So you know, if you hound people out of, if you hound normal, average, you know, non-biased, particularly or you know, not not ideologically strongly biased researchers out of doing a particular area of research. You're going to end up with worse research uh, uh, anyway, even if it's not published in your particular journal. It's going to get out eventually. Um, so, so yeah, I think um, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we need to have risky tests that could actually show that something doesn't that doesn't work. And it's exactly the same logic to what you would want in a drug trial. You wouldn't want to set up a study in such a way that, like, the only way that's ever going to see the light of day is that if it gets positive results for your for your study, because for your drug, I should say, because your drug might not actually work. And we want to know that too, because knowing stuff about the world is is good. I remember I um but but you know, that view is controversial. I remember sitting at a group of uh it was like a sort of genetics conference, and they were talking about similar sort of issues about, you know, should we publish certain results that are based on genetics and, and you know, behavior genetics stuff, you know how controversial that can be, without even bringing in like diff differences between groups, even just saying that things like intelligence or personality are related to genetics some people find that merely that very offensive just me saying that and i said at this conference at this panel thing that we we're talking about um but it is good just to know stuff right it is good just to ha just have like you know a better understanding of the world and so you know that's a good reason to do science in the first place and people on the panel and in the audience were like 
shuffling their feet, looking down at the floor, like mm-hmm. feeling clearly very uncomfortable that I had merely said, like knowledge is an, is an end in and of itself. So I think, um, you know, and I didn't even mean, you know, without any regard to ethical stuff, because of course I do agree that we should, you know, consider the participants of the research and we should even consider uh, some of the things that, some of the things that they're talking about in this, in this nature paper, but having it as, as, as rules and, 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 and making, adding more of it, injecting even more of it into the, 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 the decisions that editors make um, is a bad idea. I mean, that's one of the criticisms that people had of my tweet was that, you know, all they're doing is writing it down. They're doing this anyway already. Mm. You know, editors already make decisions based on, you know, what sort of impact they think a paper will have. And my response is, yeah, that's bad, though. It's bad that they do that. To a great extent, it's bad that they do that. Um, and we shouldn't encourage them to do more of it, especially based on, you know, ideological lines and especially based on very vague uh, 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 descriptions of groups and all that sort of stuff. I think I think that's a, I think that's generally a bad thing. Um, th- you know, uh, I'm not actually sure the extent to which nature human behavior, you know, has they've probably published editorials about open science and all that sort of stuff. But like, I wonder how much attention their, you know, rigor and open science and whatever guidelines get compared to the guidelines based on this ethical stuff, because they should be focusing on getting results that are true. And then the other concerns are, 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 are there as well. But at the moment, they might be pushing results that are based on, you know, being right in a moral sense. And that's, that's really, really toxic to science. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to like emphasize the point that um, the whole concept of registered reports that seemed to be the direction that open science was, you know, and was moving in and that seemed encouraging to me. Um, it, this, it wouldn't, mm-hmm. it wouldn't like logically be able to exist in the same universe as guidelines that say that we should reject yeah. papers based on the results because it's like yeah. direct opposite you know a pre-registered report is saying you're going to publish the paper no matter what the results are um so yeah and i think they need to figure out well i mean not a, that nature human behavior is a pre-registered report journal do do it's not reports, but so. they do but not yeah, like yeah. exclusively but yeah not even exclusive. just like being able to do yeah so what are people how is that going to work? Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a consideration that I had not thought of. And, and, you know, registered reports are, I actually think registered reports are a really good potential. I haven't seen this happen in reality yet because there's relatively few registered reports. But I think they're a really good way that we could use to try and get around a lot of these, you know, uh, thorny ethical questions. Like if you set up a study in, in, a, in a methodologically rigorous way, or sorry, well, what I should say is, naive me thought that registered reports might be used uh, as because I thought that if you set up a study in a way that everyone agreed that the methodology was good, it was had high statistical power, it was, you know, using the right kind of analyses, uh, you know, was, was uh, asking a very clear, very well-defined question, all the stuff that we would want to consider. Um, and it was on a controversial question. Everyone could just agree. And this is kind of bringing in this concept of the kind of adversarial collaboration. Everyone could agree. You know, you get reviewers from all sides and they all review the paper beforehand. They agree that whichever way it goes, they'll kind of adjust their views. Maybe they'll not change their views entirely, but they'll like adjust in a Bayesian sense their views on whatever controversial question it is. Um, uh, because, you know, no one's seen the data. We know it hasn't been fiddled around with because the data haven't been collected yet. We've all agreed on the way that the data are collected and we're going to go out there and do it now in this registered report sense. But that's naive me because now in reality, uh, the journal won't publish it if, if, if a certain result uh, comes out um, one way and, and not another. And so we can't change our mind based on 
the, the data, we have to already have our minds changed by our ethical pre-existing principles. And that sounds like a really bad uh, uh, situation to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, I mean, you could imagine a register report where regardless of how the results turn out, it's not necessarily going to be harmful or perceived as harmful, right? So you could, like, it, it kind of can coexist with it, but you couldn't you couldn't do something like, we're going to do the most rigorous tests about does Muslim immigration, is that associated with increases in like, sexual violence right. in Europe or something like that? Right. That, that would be like, well, no, we're not comfortable with certain possible outcomes of that statistical yeah, test. So we'll just, not, we'll just not allow that to be a registered report in the first place. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I, w- I actually wanted to ask you about something um, that I... I just have this very vague, simple narrative in my mind, but uh, I've raised it a couple of times when I've tried to talk to lay people about ideology and science, right? So, like, uh, you're an intelligence researcher, so I'm assuming you know more uh, about this than me. So, my vague understanding is that um, there's evidence that lead poisoning uh, reduces cognitive ability and that the evidence for this actually came from standardised testing uh, illuminating group differences. Is that, is that, is that r- roughly accurate? Um, well, yeah, I mean, the evidence for this comes from lots of different ways. I mean, there's, there's mm. sort of lab tests and, uh, with, see, with right? you know, animal research. And I mean, there's, there's a whole range of different things in, all the way up to, you know, large scale economic research where there was a really interesting paper about NASCAR rallies and when they removed oh. lead and the kids who oh. went to the rallies and then after the lead was removed and how their academic results uh, oh. Im- improved, the, you know, the cohort that was going to the NASCAR rallies after the leaded uh, 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 petrol was, or, or gas, sorry, to use the American term, was uh, was 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 removed from the, from the, from the car. So, um, you know, there's that kind of like natural experiment and then there's experiments in the lab and then there's there's lots of correlational studies, yeah, which, right. you know, like all correlational studies do probably overestimate the effect of, 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 of you know, in the impact of lead. But I think the general consensus is, yes, that that's, that that's, where, it com- that that's where it comes from. Um, and that's one of the examples where it's fine to talk about standardized testing and IQ testing because like mm. it indicates a harm and, and a particular harm to, to, you know, poorer communities, uh, ethnic minorities in the U S um, and yeah. we can measure that on the tests. And when you take the lead away, the tests change. And, you know, so there's, there's, there's mm. like clear evidence of that. Um, and people don't find IQ tests particularly controversial when they're in that context, but they, mm. but they do find them controversial in lots of other contexts. So the, this has been pointed out um, a few times that there's a kind of a, a double standard here. And it's based on, in many cases, the results. Like if all those lead studies showed no, nothing to do with lead, there might be differences mm. in the groups. So there's no difference. There's nothing to do with lead. Then perhaps people would still find them very controversial. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just, I find an interesting example of the principle that it's, it's often quite difficult research that one person might think is harmful might actually benefit the the group that's supposedly being harmed, right? Because you can easily imagine yeah. like somebody objecting, and many people do object to standardized testing and publishing statistics of standardized test results from different groups. Uh, but in this case, it seems like that that testing was kind of uh, important in identifying yeah. a factor harming that group, right? So you yeah, can imagine totally, totally. nature-human behavior reje- <laughs> rejecting the publishing of data about group differences and actually harming the group because suppressing that knowledge uh, would have, you know, maybe inadvertently suppressed um, the discovery of some 
reason or like totally. some some reason in the environment that, that yeah. tests if it's so some, like, some changeable you know actual you know uh ameliorable reason that people could, could could actually do something about it and have done something about it you know lead has been removed from petrol across all, all across the world is it has been or is being removed uh, uh yeah. all across the world so um you know and one other thing that you know brings to mind i'm actually like I feel nervous even mentioning this because I, I, I'm aware of the, the, the controversy on this, is the issue of um, genetics of autism. This has been a major issue. There was a, a large study uh, based in the UK that had to be cancelled before, before it even started collecting data because groups of autistic people said that this would be... Uh, it, it, was a, so it was a study done by some of the top genetics researchers uh, uh, in the UK, the top autism researchers in the UK, um, who, who are the top in the world because we have lots of good universities in the UK and all that sort of stuff. Um, that was, that was, that study is now on a kind of hiatus and they're redesigning the whole study because lots of people in the community got, were, were offended by the way it was set up and may kicked up a huge fuss about it and called it eugenics because it was trying to discover you know the genetic links to autism this was being done in 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 ways that you know were were intended to kind of try and help people with autism but of course the interpretation that the the advocacy group to use the term that they use in that nature human behavior editorial they thought that it was being done you know to eradicate people with autism or or, or something along those lines that was never the intention of the of the, of the scientists um, and now they're working with the advocacy groups to change to change the study now i don't know mm-hmm you know, what the harms of that research might be. I'm not an autism researcher. It's not something that I have a huge amount of uh, uh, um, uh, expertise in. But it does make me a bit nervous that a big study like that at main, a mainstream university, you know, uh, which as far as I could see was like mm. looking for rare genetic links to autism because we know that in many cases autism is caused by kind of rare genetic mutations. Mm. I would look and try and try to understand them in more depth. It makes me a bit scared that, uh, that uh, like an advocacy group can can kind of hound a study out of, out, literally out of existence um, before it even began. Um, and it's exactly this kind of thing that I think that editorial encourages, mm. encourages people to look back through the, the the research and look at what research is being done now and then get, get hounding the authors and the, and the, the people working in the journals to, to get it, to get it removed. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned advocacy groups because they explicitly mention advocacy yeah. groups yeah. in this article they say we are going to consult ethical experts and advocacy groups and i i highlighted that this this morning because uh, i was just thinking well yeah uh you know uh a lot of ethical experts disagree right a lot right. of advocate you can find an advocacy group to argue for almost anything and many advocacy groups disagree like they're not going to be consulting fire for example about whether they should uh uh research even though fire would yeah. have a, a strong position on that right so like it, it just seemed like such a meaningless thing because the person choosing which ethical expert to consult or which advocacy group to consult is effectively des- deciding uh what the outcome is going to be and I, yeah, like just again, like, I mean, Bo Weingart, like in his piece in Colette had another interesting example, which was like, so what, what about research that shows gay men are more promiscuous, uh, than mm. straight, straight men. I right? saw that, so yeah. like, yeah, like, and I think, I think he made a good point. It's like, on one hand, you could argue this is stigmatizing. On the other hand, you could argue that this is important information, a true fact about the world that could be important for public, public yeah. health purposes. Uh, so yeah, like, like the lead thing. 
it's just so difficult in the context of the kind of research that nature human behavior does to actually determine like the complex causal uh, outcomes of, of publishing research. And I don't think these advocacy groups are very likely up to that up to that challenge no, and uh, especially in cases like this where there are where there are clearly going to be advocacy groups on both sides like the other example he gives is i think a good one which is like imagine research on the uh um well-being of women after they have an abortion mm-hmm. right there are some people who stake their whole lives on uh uh campaigning that you know having an abortion is a really really terrible thing to do for your mental health and then imagine there was research that came out that said actually it doesn't have any effect on people's mental health are you going to consult with those uh activists who say that who have who have said for their whole life and continue to say that it's the that it's the worst possible thing so you know just to give an example of you know the other the other side and how they could be offended it doesn't you know no as i say no examples are given in this editorial of 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 how that might of how that sort of discussion might go how they might choose the ethical experts and how they might know whether they are indeed experts. Because like, is my local priest an ethics expert? To some people he is, um, but to others, he's the actual absolute opposite of that. Um, mm. To me, he's the yeah. opposite of that. And I so thought, like, sorry, Peter Singer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they brought up uh, one of the examples of groups was political groups. Um, right. And because there's, so much research from social psychology on how conservatives are bad in so many ways. Yeah. Um, you know, they're more dogmatic, irrational. less intelligent, yeah. they're more irrational, don't have good ways, like thinking patterns, whatever. Yeah. They're authoritarian. There's like, they just like every other day, there's a paper dunking on conservatives. Isn't that offensive to a group? Yeah. Isn't that harming their dignity? And yeah, I'm sure much of it is true. Like, I, it, it doesn't surprise me that like less people who are less intelligent are more racist for instance like that totally makes that totally makes sense uh uh there's loads of like d- decent research on that on that question but people might be offended if there's you know could uh um uh you know what if a racist is offended by this well you know mm. we, 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 are we going to be asking them for their uh for their uh, uh views on, on stuff are we going to be like who are these ethical experts do ethical experts exist? I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not even, I'm not even sure. Um, given that people have all sorts of different questions, are we going to get a panel in to argue about every single paper? Clearly not. So this is going to be applied very selectively to papers, which, you know, the editor's own prejudices are, are, are going to be, are going to be uh, uh, involved in assessing. So mm. um, I just think the whole thing is a recipe for, um, mm. you know, papers to be uh, uh retracted corrected or rejected for for reasons that are that are really not justifiable in a, yeah. in a, in a scientific so, sense reading the tea leaves i mean what do you what do you think is going to happen with this stuff so like because i mean you you spoke out about it actually a lot of people spoke out about it i, I actually even thought a lot of people went too far like our friend chris ferguson tweeted something like science is dead and i was like okay chris like, still down. like science not <laughs> yeah. dead. some people but, are prone to like, exaggeration i died um, a long time ago <laughs> but then there was there was a concerning reaction from a lot of people who were, I think I saw a professor at Cambridge, I forget his name, he, he sort of retweeted or took a screenshot of Steven Pinker objecting to this. And it was, it was very uncharitable, right? Like it was very like, oh, it's really telling, look who, look at the kind of person who's yeah. complaining about yeah. this. It says a lot, you know, about them. Like you can tell like all the racists are coming out of the woodwork, all the sexists, everything like that. So there was a real sort of 
uh, accusation against anybody raising um, concerns about this. And so I'm just curious what you think we're going to see going forward. Are we going to see more of this? Uh, these, like, because Nature Human Behavior, it's an interesting journal in that it's like kind of prestigious, but also kind of new. And it's a, like, it's, it has an ambiguous place, I think, in, in the scientific sort of hierarchy. But you could easily see this being implemented. Like, I mean, similar kinds of people are going to be running all these top journals, right? And they've all had similar training and gone to similar schools, and they're all probably friends with each other. So it's easy to see this being implemented at other journals, science, PNAS, um, stuff like this. Are we going to see, I don't know, like science sort of split between uh, well, there's the progressive journals that don't don't let you say anything that people think is harmful, and then there's the sort of more open journals, mm. and then the progressive people just say that they're the journals for all the racist people, <laughs> and uh, you know, so we sort of have like a political split in science where if you want to find out the truth about a question, it's almost like all you have is like think tanks. You just got to, you go to left wing think tanks, yeah. you go to the right wing think tanks. You yeah, um, but then again, it is just one editorial, and it did get a lot of objections to it and it is still unclear how it's going to be implemented so i'm just curious what you think the future I, of this stuff is yeah i mean I, th I think there's in recent years definitely a move towards more political stuff being published in journals uh like journals having editorials saying vote for joe biden in 2020 for instance mm -hmm. and like regardless of whether you are you know voting for joe biden or or or, or not you probably should think you probably shouldn't you, know, you probably should be against that. I think I'm a bit in two minds about exactly how far I go down that line. And I wrote an article about how I was in two minds about it the, the other week. Um, cause I, cause I think there are some benefits of, you know, specifically when it comes to do with science, it was a attack on Anthony Fauci by Tucker Carlson and, mm. uh, nature. Sorry, it was science in that case, science mm. in their kind of, not in the journal, but in the kind of on the website news section, um, they had a kind of point by point rebuttal. And I, I thought, part of me thought, mm, this is, you know, the journal science, or at least the kind of part that maybe steals some of the valor from the journal science, but the online part, um, arguing with like a shock jock on Fox News. Is this where we really want to go? Is this, you know, do we want to get more and more of this? And I do think there has been a move towards that. And I think, I think it is, you know, we're going to see it more commonly. And I think the tactic that people use who are pro this kind of thing, um, whether they think, whether they explicitly think it's a tactic or not, which is accuse you of being racist if you disagree with this, is very effective because nobody wants to be accused of being racist. It's an incredibly toxic and 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 you know powerful thing to be accused of. Um, the the guy who uh, accused me of uh, being like Charles Murray or something knew exactly what he was doing mm. by saying that. He's, you know, uh, uh, if you criticise my side of the debate, then you must be an incorrigible racist um and and that's a really powerful thing to say and a really bad thing to say about people and so um i think i i i hope that more sensible people stand up to this um i think there are extreme people on the other side clearly who are uh taking it a bit too far and saying you know this is the end of science and so on i think it probably it would be the end of science if every single journal started applying these rules uh, uh across every single thing but that's that's not the case that's not what's happening i think it's important to criticize these things now and try and work out you know ways that we can all kind of uh, uh, agree on um because i think we're at the start of uh what potentially could be a, 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 a slope down to, you know, a far less objective science. And that's not to say that I think 
science is objective or, or can ever get to like 100% objectivity. But one of the concerning things I've noticed recently is people celebrating the fact that it's not objective, saying, yeah, science is, is political. And that's really good. Let's have more political science. Let's 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 write our let's make our journals as, as political as we can. Let's uh, write our science in, in a way that's that's uh, that, that that's more political. And indeed, let's not publish papers that might offend people who are not on our uh, sorry who are on our political side or, or groups that our political side holds sort of sacred in, in, in whatever in whatever respect. So um, I, I do feel a bit pessimistic about the way that things are going, and I think also there are. You know, within universities, there are pushes in these kind of directions. Um, uh, whether it's you know microaggression courses or you know anti-racism panels or all these kind of things that are now popping up at universities quite a lot. Um, I, I don't think that does much for the objectivity of science. I think I think I think it might it might you know do quite a lot of damage to it, both in the sense of you know stopping you know explicitly like retracting papers and, and so on, but also just in the kind of slightly chilling sense of people won't do research on controversial questions anymore because they don't want to be accused of being racist. They don't want to be accused of being, you know, outside of the, of the, of the, of the mainstream or whatever uh, that can really damage your career. So uh, I do feel quite pessimistic about it. I wish I could say something more optimistic. It's like the whole replication crisis thing. I always like to end on, Oh, there's all these nice new initiatives like register reports that people are doing, but I do fundamentally feel quite pessimistic about it. You'll be pleased okay. to know I'm actually, <laughs> I'm working on a registered report that we're planning to submit to Nature Human Behaviour right now. So. Fingers crossed. Yeah, hope it doesn't have any offensive that. results. <laughs> Should be fun. Uh, Do I we to... have time for Rachel's go on, questions go on, about go on. Uh, science? Yeah. No, I just wanted to ask, I don't think we'll get to that, but I wanted to ask right. a quick question. Um, throughout our conversation, you kind of have said a few times that uh, you do think that we should consider the impacts of uh, potentially harmful studies. And I was just was hoping you could expand on that a little bit more. Like, what do you mean specifically when you say consider the impact? Like, let's say, let me just make it a little concrete. Like, let's say there's a study that comes out and it was allowed to be published that, or maybe not, you know, but it's being submitted to a journal, let's say, um, that shows that, you know, Black people are less smart than white people, just like, you know, the most offensive thing you could possibly uh, do. But it, like the methods are super rigorous and, you know, it's good science other than the repugnant um, conclusion, uh, which that means a different thing. But yeah. yeah so, <laughs> um, but yeah. So what like what do you think? What would you do in that case to sort of consider the impact? Well, you know, as Paul said already, th there are already lots of papers that say that say that, and some of them are to do with like lead lead poisoning, and uh, and and uh, and they, they do often find differences in 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 groups. And I think um, if they are rigorously done, then then uh, uh, you know you need to you need to consider them in in the, in the way that you would rigorously consider any other paper. What I mean is, I think you can, you know, there are there are people out there who do this kind of research. And they enjoy it, and they and they do it in a in a kind of a gleeful sense because they are themselves racist, and they do want to publish research that's based on, you know, that that shows that that they enjoy the fact that they find that you know, different different uh, you know IQ scores that are different between groups or different between sexes or whatever, and they publish it often in their own self published journals, but sometimes they manage to get stuff into mainstream journals. Um, it's 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 rarely good quality rigorous research. Um, 
uh, but the reason that they're doing it is to wind is to wind people up and 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 troll and so on. And I think this produces a problem because if in some of those cases they do, for whatever reason, manage to do rigorous research, they download a study from the government that's decent data and do some fairly straightforward analysis in it. Um, they've done it for bad reasons, but they've but it's still but it's still there. I think that that produces a, a big problem because you'll want to not publish it because you know why they're doing it and that they will, you know, go online and crow about it and say, I got published in a, in a top journal with this, with this paper or, you know, a mainstream journal with this paper. Um, but you can't find any, you know, uh, uh, methodological reason not to, not to publish it. And I, I, I find that very, very difficult. I think there are some people who's, who are kind of beyond the pale um, in their, in their views and things that they've said in, uh, in, in, in public, in intelligence research, Richard Lynn is one of those people, right? He has stood up at what I would consider to be like white supremacist conferences. And I don't mean white supremacist in the 2020 definition. I mean, which is, which means the same as racism. I mean, white supremacist in the sense that like, I want to live in a country where there are only white people and, you know, we need to deport immigrants and all that sort of stuff. Like he stood up at those kinds of conferences and said things like the Northern states of, you know, the US should secede. No, all, all these, all these kind of things. He publishes research in psychology journals where he gets a data set and does some basic analysis on it and, and publishes it. Now, it's a bit like the debate that I had um, a few years back and it kind of had an impact on me with a few folks online. And, and we're talking about criticism. Like if someone's getting at you, someone's like criticizing your research for political reasons, they're attacking your research because uh, they disagree with the political uh, conclusions, but they can still make points that are true, right? Um if it's good criticism, you should accept it, even if it's done because they hate your guts or they 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 don't like your conclusions. Um, and so I think this does provide us with it. I find it really hard to, to know the answer to this. Like there are there are bad actors out there, and yet they can still sometimes produce uh, uh, you know research that might have that might be true in some in some sense. So um, I guess the answer to that question is to do more stuff like um, registered reports where reviewers and editors and stuff have a, have an impact on the setup of the study before it even gets published and you know and and they've said you know we'll publish it either way and you know all, all this kind of stuff um but it's a really it is a it is a tricky question and it's what offends a lot of these people and, and and i think research like that by people like richard lynn and this kind of cohort of uh people that are associated with him is the reason that this editorial was written in the first place because you know there are these kind of papers which are clearly written by very dodgy people, um, uh, uh, and, 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 and they get, and they get published sometimes in mainstream journals. Um, I think those papers should be criticized for their methodological problems as much as, as much as that is relevant. Um, and I think, you know, responses should be published to them if they take, uh, liberties with the ethics or the, or the, um, the interpretation and so on. And a lot of these people are very fond of taking, like going way too far from research. Like for instance, in your, in your question, you said showed that, you know, black people are less intelligent or something like that. That wouldn't be the conclusion. That wouldn't be what the study showed. It would be that they score differently on a particular cognitive test. Um, and you could, you could draw that interpretation, but it would be going a little bit too far to draw that interpretation because less intelligent means many different things to many different people. So, um, I think you need to be a bit careful about the sort of conclusions you draw from these kind of studies when, when, you know, the opera operationalization is often, you know, one cognitive test or something. So, um, but I don't think necessarily censoring that research just because of the results is, is the correct option, because I think a lot of other research that's not done for bad reasons, um, 
uh, uh, will get will get caught in the in the crossfire of that. I think you know, in the same way that I kind of think to to bring us back to the very start of this uh, question, in the same way that I think that Carnegie Mellon professors should be allowed to say that they want the Queen to die in excruciating pain. Um, uh, I think people should be allowed to publish research that has offensive conclusions, but we should be allowed to criticize them. That's a very long and mealy-mouthed answer to a question, which I don't really know my view on. Maybe I should do another, like, hand-wringing dialogue article on that. Yeah, no, I think that... Yeah, yeah, I look good. forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you apparently have a delicious chicken breast uh, downstairs. No, no, I don't cold. think it's that. I think, I think that, was, that was just one example of this guy's recipes, but I don't, I don't know what she's, uh, okay, uh, she's right, making, right. my fiance is <laughs> making. Right. I, I can do, I can do the easy chicken breast, you know. There's a dinner of some kind yes. uh, waiting for you downstairs, so um, we'll let you go. But um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, yeah, I think it was a good a good discussion, and thanks. you know, yeah, some complex yeah. Uh, complex issues came up. But yeah, I yeah, uh, really appreciate you coming on the pod. And nice um, talking yeah. to you. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Cheers. Cheers.